Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that's top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. How many times do you say adaptogens in a day? <laughs> it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm going to die a Pelicans fan because that bitch got New Orleans in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I am your host, David Grubb, and as usual, I am joined by Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief at TheBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, um, glad to be with you again. We are. This is our first post-All-Star break convening, and uh, we have to like where we are, sitting 4-0 uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans, um, either as, like I said, I, I'm using the term we. Uh, in a universal way in this point, because I don't want anybody to think I'm a hypocrite about my stance <laughs> on the word we. Um, but from every perspective, if you're in the media and you're covering this team, this is a great time to be covering this team. If you are a fan and you love this team, it is a good time to be a fan of this team. If you are a merchandiser, you are a player, you work in the front office, everybody right now has to be feeling pretty good, don't they, guys? Let's start with you, Fish. Uh, how are you doing? It's not just four wins. It's for ass beatings that happen, um, and especially the last one because the Pelicans just came out, and we've been chatting in the chat, but they come out and they attempt to win every single possession, mm-hmm. and and that that mentality. I don't know how much you want to put that on CJ coming in, and now you have like the most professional veteran presence that's actually logging minutes and logging minutes in a positive way, which hasn't necessarily been the case on this roster for a, for a very long time. Um, but it, it's the thing about it that's sustainable is the fact that the Pelicans aren't shooting lights out. They're defending and they're, they're turning teams over. And every single time you dribble into a crowd, there's, there's a bobbled ball. There's a, an inaccurate pass, which gives the defense enough time to recover. If it's not a steal, there's so much little stuff other than the highlights that are happening that you see every single every single trip, every single trip, some team runs some kind of pick and roll, and you see the guy from the weak side corner, he sags down and he tags, and they're ready to X out to the corner and to the wing. And the Pelicans before 
last year, previous years to that, like they would see the same basic. I mean, basketball is not that complicated, but they'd see these actions and their reaction to it was, oh, crap, what are we supposed to do? And you see the Pelicans now and on the defensive end, they are locked in. They know their assignments. And as long as they continue to execute their assignments, they're going to be in a position where they can win every game. And then you take that and then what they're doing offensively, and it's a beautiful thing. Kevin, um, one of the things that we have talked about with the bird rights and in our chat and just in general on this podcast too, is we said this team needed a few very basic things. It needed a lead guard, someone who was going to take control of the basketball. It needed maturity and it needed versatility. There were a lot of guys who couldn't do a lot of things on this roster before. Um, you look at the the makeup of this team now, and no, they're not all all-stars. But since CJ and Tony Snell have come into the rotation, this is as balanced a roster as I've ever seen since they became the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that 100%. Like you said, it's what we've been saying for a long time and what this team needed, and they answered that. And then, you know, Larry Nance should be here soon, which is another guy that we're all high on that fills a role that we've all said was needed, a like a small ball four or five guy that can also guard multiples in the front court, um, provide veteran leadership, uh, has a lot of intangibles, is a talker defensively, adds to that defensive hustle mentality. Um, you know, it's been great. And like, for me, I'm one of the easiest fans to please because I just want the team to be fun. And so they're definitely fun now. And they're also just beating people's asses. So, um, you know, it's, it's the best of both worlds. Um, and yeah, I mean, the last few games have just been incredible and can't wait to see how it unfolds and keeps rolling. Ollie, you're the closest to this on a day-to-day basis, excuse me, from practice to games post games and um you know one of the things it's it certainly this was something is emphasized during the the the, the offseason it's been emphasized since david griffin walked in was this the culture um and i think that and i, I don't want to be nitpicky but i think a lot of people started saying well we got look david griffin is getting the family the culture that he asked for it didn't come together the way that you necessarily would have thought it would. We have to we have to tell the story the way it happened to get to this point. The I think the most transformational figure in this, we got to talk about as much as there's the players and what they've done, and they are they are if your players don't do it, Willie Green and what he has done, what he has made the players believe about themselves, about each other, about people externally, what they see about the franchise. As Antonio Daniels likes to say, the, the the changing of this narrative, you're seeing this. You're seeing how teams interact with Willie. You're seeing how teams interact with Pelicans players. You're seeing how they talk about the Pelicans' effort and what Rudy Gobert said last night. What, from your perspective, what is it like? It's unlike any season that I've ever covered here in New Orleans. Um, I haven't been here since, of course, the team got here in 2002, but I think a lot of us here on this podcast have pretty much started watching the Pelicans since they, since they did arrive here. So we got a pretty good idea, right, on how the team was flowing, how they were operating, how they felt about playing with one another, you name it. And I'll be honest with you, I've never seen a team so spirited in 
coming to work, enjoying themselves, regardless of honestly the results at the end of the day. I mean, David, you when we were covering the team just a few years ago, especially throughout the Alvin Gentry years, how many slow starts do we watch and how many heads do we watch hang in that locker room afterwards? I mean, even after wins, it wasn't a joyous occasion, right? right. Going to practices, you didn't feel like a good vibe, right? Even after, say, winning two, three, four games, which was usually the max winning streaks for a lot of those teams. But you just, like I said, you never felt like these guys actually connected like, and I hate to use that word, but honestly, like a family, like a camaraderie out there to where they truly enjoy just working together towards a common goal. And now we're seeing that common goal result in, in a hell of a lot of impressive wins, as Fish mentioned, right? Since the All-Star break, and I asked this in the middle of the game um, yesterday to Andrew, I'm like, hey, why don't you ask Elias on ESPN, look it up and see what's been the most impressive start by a team out of the All-Star break. And lo and behold, the Pelicans have been one of the best. I think there's maybe two other teams that have done maybe better. But both of those teams, you know what they end up doing? I know one went to the finals and the other one pretty far in the playoffs. So the Pelicans are playing that kind of caliber of basketball that you can't even ask for anything more. And when you consider where this team started and how easy it would have been, right, for players to start going in separate ways or just not putting forth the effort, right, that 110% effort in every game, you wouldn't have blamed them for it. But who held them together? You're right, David. It was Willie Green. This guy never wavered. But credit to the players, too. They never, you know, lost that attention, that focus on what you're trying to accomplish. So I think a lot of credit needs to be given, you know, up and down. I'm not going to just pick out one person, even though probably Willie Green deserves the most. But what we've seen is unlike a lot of any other seasons, and it's not just with the Pelicans, almost any other team in basketball. They were horrendous in training camp in preseason. They looked like they didn't belong on the court with a lot of teams. Even the Orlando Magic coming in preseason game for at least a quarter and a half or so. To go from there to where we've seen now, and yes, the trade helped. You've mentioned CJ McCollum, Tony Snell. But to go from there to where we are now, and you still haven't seen the franchise player, I mean, it's just been incredible. So this has, without a doubt, been probably the most satisfying season, right? You're covering loss after loss, and you're wondering, here we go again. David Griffin era is never going to get off the ground. And now the playing tournament's within sight. And yes, they're well still below 500. But you feel so good about this team, about every player, and where they're headed in the future. You know, one of the things that that I have always stressed um, is, you know, there's there's a how you the how you get to that place. And you could take the Pelicans record and you put the Lakers record. And I'm not doing this to particularly pick on the Lakers, but what – I'm saying yes, you this. are. Thank you. No, no, I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm just saying the how they got to these two situations. If you just put the records on paper, you'd say both of these teams are pretty bad teams. Right. If you just saw the one loss records. Right. And, and you can't are, go by that. But go ahead. Yes. And that is my point. Exactly. Is what I'm yeah. saying is how did you arrive at this point? Mm-hmm. So you take that group and, and what the Pelicans did, both by accident, injury and strategy. Um, is you eliminated a lot of the things that we harped on from the outset. There was a reason that Fish and I were like so adamant about Herb Jones starting from the beginning of the season. And it was because what the, the thing that we wanted, raise the basketball IQ of this team. The failures have come out of their, their lack of execution, communication, and situational awareness, mm-hmm. knowing your personnel. 
And what you have done over the course of the season is eliminate the mental mistakes. You don't have the bad jump shots taken. You don't have this, like Willie Green last night in that game. And then this is part Willie. And again, it's part of recognition by players. They took three threes on an offensive possession off of, and they got the offensive rebound, kept shooting threes, all of them missed. And they, they ball play stopped. Willie called timeout. And he kind of was just like, they had a 30 point lead. He's like, what do you, what do you do? You're, you're complicating the game. And like you said at the beginning, fish basketball is not hard. And the Pelicans have become far less complicated as a basketball team over the last 12 games because of the month since February, they're, they are now what 13 games, nine and four since the start of February. So they've become a less complicated basketball team. You know what to expect minimum wise from most of these players on a night to night basis. You can accept Devontae Graham going two for six because now he's in a position where that two for six doesn't make you fall off a cliff. There isn't a Garrett Temple, and we're not saying this to pick. These are just the the, the facts are. You don't have a Garrett Temple sinking every lineup that he's in. You have a Tony Snell in place who's hitting every open shot that he's getting. And if he's not hitting open shots in a night like last night where your other three starters give you 11 points, 11 out of Valanciunas, Herb, and, and Jackson, 11, and you won by 30 over the Jack. Fish? Yeah, I mean, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, Kevin, go, oh. Ahead, go ahead, Kevin. Go ahead, Kevin. No, go ahead, Kevin. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, I, I was going to say, too, the other thing about Snell is he's not making mistakes, even if he's not hitting open shots, and we saw that was a big issue with Temple. But going back to your point about how the teams got there with this, comparing the Lakers and the Pelicans, I feel like I want to see what you guys think about this. This, this Pelicans team reminds me of two teams of, in recent history, one being that Miami Heat team that started off really badly. I forgot what it was. Yes, um, they were 30. I what the record was. They were but they 11 did the and 31 opposite. in the first yep. half, and they went 31 and 11 in the second yes, half. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. So it reminds me a bit of that, and that, again, is the team that, that's built through a defensive identity and all of that. But they also remind me of, you know, you could look at, that stretch right before we got CJ where uh, BI was starting to play really well. Um, You could see this team growing and being exciting and, and coming together. You could sort of compare that to the bubble Suns, And then the CJ edition became the Chris Paul era Suns Cause there's a lot of parallels between players too. Like um, Herb and Mikhail Bridges, similar types of players. You have That's something uh, we've talked you know, about for a while in the group chat too. Yeah. yeah. Right. And BI, <laughs> BI and Booker kind of similar in, in that sense. Guys that were volume scorers uh, previously, but never really had committed hard on the defensive end. But once they got, uh, you know, then they started to commit on that defensive end. Uh, then, you know, of course, you can compare CJ to Chris Paul in terms of leadership and, and those kind of things that he brings, the intangibles. Um, you know, so there's a lot of like parallels in that sense. Even like you could compare Alvarado to, um, campaign in a sense as well uh, and the important role that he plays is that secondary ball handler off the bench and a hard-nosed defender and a guy who like people never really considered and then he had this breakout um that are you know although it's like a rookie year for Alvarado whereas for Payne it, you know it took him a few years in the league but um you know being a second round on uh, I mean an undrafted pick uh rookie what is what I'm trying to say I'm sorry I can't talk today but uh but you get my point but 
I, I think you look at it that way and you could see a lot of parallels to teams that went on to great things uh, by the way this team is constructed and how they're playing together and fitting together. Fish? Oh, I just, I mean, you were talking about making the game simple and it, it's, it's really jumped out to me since the Pelicans came, since they came out of the all-star break, because I think what we've seen is Brandon Ingram um, was a little run down right before the break. Um, you could tell he was just tired because up until when CJ arrived, you know, he was lifting a heavy load and then CJ comes in and I mean, that puts a lot on BI's shoulders when CJ came in, in terms of, cause how is he going to have to adapt? And I think, you know, between the, the, the famous dinner at this point that they had and everything, how CJ kind of just fills in the cracks at this point. But the thing is, man, Brandon Ingram, like the game is easy to that man right now. He is not working hard for his shots. He knows what shots he wants to get. The Pelicans, the Pelicans now, they have all of their pet sets that they want to run. And they have a lot of different applications of those pet sets. Um, they're running a lot of, and I was I was reading a piece by um, Nikias, um Duncan today about how the big thing that the Pelicans are running now because their two primary scorers are, you know, a point guard and a wing defender. I mean, a wing player in Brandon Ingram. A lot of their sets now they're running Chicago over and over again. They're running a pin down screen into in, in, into a dribble handoff with a big. And you put the ball in Jonas's hands, and then either you're going to have CJ setting the screen down for BI, and then he's coming up to the ball, or you're going to flip that, and you're going to have BI setting the screen and CJ coming around. And they're they keep on running just variations of that same thing, and every single time the opponent feels like they fit, they figured it out or something, the play the players involved are intelligent enough that they say no. If you want to play the play then I'm going to take the open shot that you created because you're trying mm-hmm. to take take away what you think the shot is. And what we're trying to do here running the set isn't, we're not trying to create this shot. We're trying to create a good shot and we'll take that one. And that's the biggest thing with Brandon Ingram. But I, I want to continue on my Brandon Ingram kind of praise here. That man is defending his ass off now. Yes, he is. Um, he's... I mean, he still has weaknesses. He still doesn't get around screens maybe as 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 well as you'd like. But he's got long as hell arms, and he's fully invested. And I think a lot of that is the fact that the Pelicans at this point, they trust each other on the floor. And when you trust each other and you execute your assignment, expecting, like, if I make this rotation, somebody else is going to get my guy. And so everybody's kind of sacrificing whatever, you know, oh, my guy might get an open shot. You, you know, they're not, they're not defending in a way that is selfish. They're defending selflessly. And Brandon Ingram has stepped up remarkably in that regard. He's changing a bunch of shots. He's getting more deflections. He had a turnover. He, he forced a turnover yesterday on a two-on-two fast break. Um, and he didn't even touch the ball. Just he, him and um, Herb Jones both spread their arms, built a wall, and then I can't remember if it was Jordan Clarkson or Nikhil or whoever it was for the Jazz bringing the ball up, um, just made a foolish turnover at that point. But just because you see just arms and bodies everywhere. And 
I think, I mean, I'm, I'm getting to the point now as a regular season player, at least that Brandon Ingram feels like he's creeping over the line from just being an average defender to he's a plus defender because as long as you give effort and you have the physical tools that he has, you should be a plus defender. And we're seeing that applied on a nightly basis now. Probably, um, but it, it, it just looks tactically um, that, yeah, the, they've simplified things, but uh, you know, you, one of the things like with Jackson Hayes talking about putting him at the four means he doesn't have to think as much. And I'm not, again, we want, you want in sport and anything you do muscle memory, your reactions to be reactions, not to be, what am I supposed to do in this situation? So by doing that for Jackson and making the game that way and having guys like CJ, who is going to communicate, you hear that you hear her talking, you hear Jonas, you know, is a team defender, not a great individual defender, but there is a, an understanding now with that group. And then when the other players come in from that second unit, whether it's Najee, whether it's Tony, whether it's um, whomever, they continue that. You're seeing that continue, which is not something we saw over the first 30 games or so. No. I mean, the changes have been vast everywhere, right? You can talk about specifics on offense, as Fish just did, right, and what now they're able to run. And I also want to give a shout-out to, I've also seen, especially in that Kings game, a lot of just two-man action, right, where in the Kings game, it was McCollum and Balanchunas, Isolated on one side of the court, and they absolutely dismembered Sacramento. Whatever uh, was there, they took it. Whether it was a drive for CJ, a little dump-off pass, or y- you name it. So they're just reading and reacting as well as I've ever seen almost any Pelicans team. But as for the defense, you're right, David. That's got to be the most impressive team on how they have looked out of this All-Star break, holding four teams to well below their season averages. And you could almost have, say, written off what they did against the Suns right right out of the All-Star break. I mean, it's well known that games, a couple, was it, games right before or after the All-Star break, you kind of just take with a grain of salt because everybody's, you know, they're focused on other things, right? That break coming up or coming off of it. And then, of course, they play two bad teams, right? The Kings and the Lakers. They're not going anywhere. But that defensive performance against a Jazz team that had been playing so well and it came down to all five guys doing things on the court. And I think Jackson deserves a lot of shine as well as well as Willie because that unit, the way they operate. For instance, I've never seen the Pelicans all season seemingly take away what's been their biggest weakness defensively. And that, of course, is giving up the open three-point shot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've never seen the team get up into every Jazz guy and force them to drive. And by doing so, suddenly you're driving into where there's another Pelicans defender Half the time, it was seemingly Herb, right? And then, of course, there's a steal. There's a turnover. The Pelicans are operating so well right now on a string. And a lot of it has to do with Jackson because he's given you another plus athletic, you know, guy that is so quick and he's reacting well defensively. So you don't have to rely on Jonas, Ryan, or CJ McCollum stopping their man because there's going to be that help. And if it's not Herb, it's proven to be Jackson. And as Fish mentioned, Brandon's been doing a great job. Right before this podcast, I posted a tweet where my favorite play from last night's game, I mean, you can pick, there's probably a dozen of them, right? But for me, it was a contest of Mike Conley on a three-point shot 
in that second quarter. Mm -hmm. Jose Alvarado came from the other side of the free throw line. So that's like, what, 25 plus feet. Contested Mike Conley into throwing a fake. He had to regroup. And then here comes B.I. from almost the exact same distance to make Mike Conley again, you know, just not shoot a regular open jumper in the past. Those are wide open looks for opposing teams. But last night on that play, it wasn't. And, and that's really just the epitome of the way this whole team, including Jackson, have been playing. So I don't know how we got here, guys, but suddenly this team looks like one of the best teams in the Western Conference. I don't think that's, you know, going above and beyond or being biased about this home team. You, from just watching the way they're playing on both sides of the ball, how can you not say that, right? It, it just seems very apparent to me from the stats and from the eye test. Yep, there is... I would say this is like, again, since February, and we talked about this, that January was just going to be a monster. There was no way that, that they were going to make it unscathed through that January gauntlet. Since then, and the schedule's been more balanced. And yeah, you, we, I think we all wish they had done better in the, the that homestand before the All-Star break, but it ended up being a learning experience that they kind of, it was better to do that at home to learn those things in a practice where you had the opportunity to go to practice the next day while you were doing this homestand, I think um, so that they could come out of the break like this. If that had been maybe three games on the road or four games on the road before the break, I don't know that they come out of it this way. Um, and, and I think that was a, a big significant um, part of this. And so now they are making the game. And last night, you know, when you talk about the intensity, the hunger, that you're seeing out of them. It's it's not just them liking each other. What they have are, and Antonio Davis again said this too. He said, they got dogs. And those are things, again, we've been asking for. Competitors, mm -hmm. people that want to win basketball games. C.J. McCollum wants to win. You know, C.J. McCollum wants to win. Brandon Ingram is figuring it out. He's figured it out. Like, this year, we've seen more growth from him as a basketball player um as a leader internally those things have been far more more uh, you know interesting to watch at certain times to me than his game um and, and and then you have a guy like herb who comes in and competes like you say on every possession alvarado competes on every possession for every foot of that court space that is something that this team did not have enough of prior to this and you've brought a bunch of these guys and like you said larry nance sitting there waiting in the wings and and I still don't want to get ahead of ourselves on Zion Williamson because just because he's in town doesn't mean he's going to be on the court by the end of this month. If he is, cool. But even with this now, if it just if you just add Nance, yeah, this team is is still as dangerous a team as theirs in the West. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I, I feel like you and I, I feel like we said it a lot going into this that we felt really good about how this team was was put together you know later on in the season obviously at the beginning of the season we had a lot of questions about the guard rotation which um Jose helped alleviate some of that earlier on and then now of course adding CJ has been huge um and it's and what we've seen from CJ is why we wanted him over De'Aaron Fox because of those intangibles and that leadership skills uh that that he's definitely came in and made a huge difference right away um but uh oh man i forgot i, I lost my my train of thought on what i was gonna say but well, then uh, i'll give you a question do you want a question <laughs> yeah. we can do the questions we yeah, got the questions. 
All right, so Kevin, I'll give you the question since you lost your thing. Um, I think we've handled the defense in general. Um, but this is an interesting one. Uh, and I think we've kind of discussed this before, but it's 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 a good time to rethink it. Who faces the biggest role reduction if when Larry Nance returns? I mean, I think it's uh, Jackson Hayes. Um, I think, you know, he's he probably will still start games, I would think. But I think you're going to be closing games with, with Larry Nance. Uh, it could be matchup dependent based off of uh, who who – who the big man is because, you know, you might need a more athletic guy and maybe Jonas uh, loses minutes some nights, but I think it's those two guys that are going to lose the most minutes and the, have the biggest reduction in role when Larry comes in because of what Larry brings in terms of versatility defensively, the ability to shoot the outside shot, shot blocking, athleticism, um, ability to pass and create as well. I mean, he does so many things so well from that, from the front court position, the big man position that um, you have to give him minutes. You have to find minutes for him. And so obviously those other two guys are going to see a a diminished role. And I think if you look at um, what we've seen from, from Willie green so far, he's going to go more towards veterans than to younger guys. Um, so I think it was Jackson initially that's going to lose a bit of his a bit of his minutes, but I think he'll still get you know a nice chunk of minutes. And then of course I think uh, Willie Hernan Gomez just uh, disappears again for a while, which is fine, um, and he seems to be fine with that role as well, brought in when he's needed. But um, yeah, I mean Nance is going to just add so much versatility to this team; uh, it's going to be a real pleasure to watch. Yeah, I think Willie does become your your break in emergency you know, the right. big man. And that's fine. Absolutely. But you got 96 front court minutes. If you're, if you're getting 25 out of Jonas instead of 32, good, mm-hmm. good. Exactly. It's better for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. If, if it's, if Jackson is giving you 20 to 25, that's probably best. Cause I think Jackson is one of those doses types people. He give him his, his eight minutes of run and he's going, pull him back. Then you give him his run or you pull him back. And I think that's what works best for Jackson because he gets to be free that way. He's not worried about fouling out. He's not worried about having to stay on the floor. So, yeah, I think, you know, certainly Willie falls off the rotation completely, but your four or five, 96 minutes between what you have available, I think you get a good even distribution. Uh, Ali, you want to make a quick comment on that? I would say, honestly, because the Pelicans probably want to play a little bit bigger that, if Nance comes back, he's going to take away, you know, unfortunately minutes more from either Tony Snell or um, uh, Najee not, not Marshall. Because I've seen a lot of those guys basically playing a lot of fours when um, Hayes and Valanciunas haven't been out there together, right? And I think Willie has liked what he's seen by going bigger, and it definitely hasn't affected the offense, right? That was my biggest concern. How are opposing teams going to react when you've got, you know, Hayes out there, non-three-point threat? You've got Herb, who has really been struggling with his shot. And, of course, he's not a threat because he's not a volume guy you need to worry about, even if he makes one or two. Same thing with Valanciunas since his first six weeks. He's not been a three-point threat. But that hasn't been an issue. So I think if I'm Willie, I see that, look, I've got two massive offensive studs that can just lift everybody up because of their scoring ability from all over the court. And you're not going to need, right? To, to, to need to have a Tony Snell out there and, you know, just that sieve poor three-point shot. So I don't think – I think Valanciunas and Hayes, they're going to stick to playing 
pretty much the minutes we've seen out of the All-Star break, which Valanciunas is averaging about 28 and Jackson right around 25. So, no, I think it's going to come from reducing one of the wings. And honestly, I hate the thought of that. I think Najee has provided another spark defensively when we talk about it, Herb and Jose, but Najee deserves mention right there with him. And then, of course, Tony, he's the team's easily the best three-point shooter. He's a guy, when you make a drive, you're looking for him, right? You're looking for him to make to make a pass to because you feel like every shot he puts up is going to go in. But also, so, he also looks for that. He also, And one of the things that we talk about with three-point shots and that we talked about for years is Tony Snell knows where to get into position when the ball's moving. Yes. And, and last night also. And you notice how quick he is on the catch? He's, like, expecting it. Yeah. He, he, his release is so quick. He's His shoulders are set every single time. Yet yeah, I haven't seen Appel do that since I don't know when. Well, I would just say, like, I understand what you're saying, Ali, but I, I would think that Snell would get a little bit more of Devontae's minutes and mm-hmm. maybe even some That's of my hope. I, oh, Kevin, I love that you brought it up, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, you can go ahead from there, but I, I don't think Nance is going to affect his minutes because we need that big backcourt guy. Um, you know, we all said that when we lost Josh, we needed that backcourt guy that could provide – uh, rebounding, perimeter defense, active hands, shot blocking, uh, all of that stuff from the guard position. Um, and Snell does those things. And like you said, he's been a, a really good shooter. Um, so I think, you know, Devontae is going to suffer a little bit. But here's from the thing. Devontae's averaging older. 21 minutes a game since the All-Star break. How much further can you cut his minutes if you're Willie Green? As much as you want. Yeah. You're the coach. I mean, I think he goes down but you know how he's been operating, right? He's giving leeway to guys that, you know, were starters that okay, but you then, hope he can. You, we've yeah, but seen he has it, right? Devontae hasn't now. deserved all the minutes he's gotten over the last three months or whatever. Okay, but, but then now they're in a push where they can win. Like, they're stuff to win. And if Devontae, like I said, Devo- it's, you can weather two for six nights for Devontae, but you don't have to. If you don't have to put him out there for 22 minutes, I know, but and watch go through Willie Green's mind and how he's been operating. What do you expect him to do? Oh, sorry, I think Willie's, he's Willie's not going to do it like that. But the other thing is too, like, okay, so you could you can make an argument for Devontae because even if he's not hitting shots, he's a secondary playmaker. But if you have Nance in there now too, who's a a great playmaker, then you don't need that secondary playmaking as much from Devontae. So. I think you really just cut down on Dante, you know, I think it's like, I feel like this team get is in a great position right now. And we get to these positions by having mistakes and then correcting them. You know, every good move that we've made, there was a mistake that led to us correcting and to fixing it. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, no, it's, it's not, I do, it's but like, here's just one thing I want to throw out to all you guys. I think the Dante, Devontae falls into that. He's yeah, a little bit. One thing. The Pelicans are really searching hard to find a dependable bench score, right? A flamethrower. And they're really trying to push Devontae into that role. Right now, he's not making shots, but let's see, he does. I think that's important to have. And if it's not him, then who takes that role? I think Tony. that's necessary I mean, to fill. You Tony Snell was the best three point shooter on the team. Like, why Tony. not just let him? But Tony Snell can't be your, your, your bench score, right? Your sixth man, so to speak. It's not. It's not his game. Uh, I, I mean, I'll say this: one, how he's staggering the rotation. You're not asking for some sixth man to come in yep. and create all the offense because, especially like when the games really start to matter, you're not going to see Willie Green run out lineups right. that don't have CJ or Bi. 
on the floor. I hope you're right because he's experimented a lot last couple of games, right, guys? With no he's had the opportunity with 30 point leads, though. You get the opportunity uh, yeah, to just yeah, play you, with your lineups. Yeah, against you, the you Kings, it wasn't a 30 point lead till well in the second half, and then that second quarter, he ran out. We were shocked, right? No Ingram, McCollum, or Valanciunas in a tight game. We were actually losing, so that surprised me. So that's why I'm saying. I don't know what's going on in Willie Green's mind. I think he's trying to get Devontae to play that six-man role. But if not, you got fish, you're probably right. I agree with you. But, I mean, so, I mean, we're, I feel like we're beating this horse. But m- my thing with Nance is when he comes in and you think about kind of the versatility. Because here's the thing. I feel like Willie Green has already settled on when it's – when the money's on the line, he knows which five guys he's going to play. It's going to be CJ. It's going to be BI. It's going to be Herb. It's going to be Jonas. We already know those four. And the fifth guy, whenever like the minutes, like crunch time minutes, end of quarter minutes, it's been Snell. Yeah. And that and, and those five are destroying opponents, just absolutely demolishing opponents. Because I mean, Tony Snell brings all, all the things you need. As, as a fifth guy with those other four guys around him. And then, I mean, Nance is just going to give you more versatility. You can, I mean, you can still be good defensively and sit Jonas. And you can be good defensively in a completely different way. You can bring two to the ball now and we'll rotate on the back end and we'll create more turnovers. And you can do that with your second unit. Uh, it, and the thing is, is that when you think about just, the amount of length and arms that they're putting out on the floor mm-hmm. and open hands. They're so I mean, much Nance, longer. Nance is a huge deflections guy. Herb Jones, we already know, huge deflections guy. Najee, huge deflections guy. Jose Alvarado, hands always in the cookie jar. He's he's always just getting like those tips on dribbles. And if it's not a steal, now the guy's bobbling the ball. The ball's coming out late. It's coming off off mm-hmm. target. All of those things are happening, and that's that's what's keeping the second unit afloat. Is they say we don't even need to worry about scoring. We're going to turn you over, and we're going to make it hell on earth on the defensive end because we have Jose Alvarado, Tony Snell, Najee Marshall out there creating havoc, and then we're going to get you in transition and things like that. And either we're going to get layups and dunks, or Jose Alvarado, who I mean, singing th- that man's praises. He's the purest point guard we still have on this roster. He'll drive around. He'll do the Steve Nash underneath the basket thing. Mm-hmm. He's going to be patient. Um, he makes he makes Jackson Hayes better, just period. Jackson Hayes can kind of just hang out, and Jose Alvarado will take that half-dribble hesitation to get somebody out of position and pretty much eyeball Jackson. You should cut there. And then he throws him the ball, and he's like, look, see, it's a dunk. I, you didn't see it, but I saw it, and I set it up for you. And all you needed to do was be tall, catch the ball, and dunk it. Um, and that's what Ho- Jose Alvarado's done for Jackson Hayes' game. And then he's setting up, you know. Yeah, Fish, real quick, I want to say, I'm seeing B.I. and C.J. doing that, right? Oh, yeah. Last night in the first half, C.J. driving the ball right down the middle of the lane. There was a defender. He had to make a decision. Do I meet? And he should have. He should have stopped the ball, but he didn't. He stayed with Hayes underneath the rim. C.J. had an easy little lane floater. Yeah, so Hayes' gravity out there has been incredible. But sorry, but go ahead. And everything changes with CJ, too, because teams – all the reactions are 
a little bit slower for defenses now because they can't rush over to, to go clog BI. They can't rush over to get CJ. They can't rush over to get Jonas. They can't rush over to anybody on that group because at the they're either doing two things. If they're not making shots like the guys weren't last night, they're still moving and active without the basketball. And so and and I'm like I'm back to my counting of dribbles things. The amount of times last night, I think when somebody took more than three dribbles, I could count on one hand. Like it just wasn't happening during the competitive portion of the game. Um, we're got, so like the zero point five thing is actually happening, and defenses have to be slower too because they can't leave their guys as quickly. So Dave, like here's all the of thing: how many how many of those dribbles can you recover the last four games where it's just going sideways? Remember yeah. how BI used to go sideways? Yeah. I can't recall one instance. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not putting. They're not just standing there pounding it. And there were so many occasions. Um, before where that's where you would see is guys, you know, whether it was Nikhil, you know, rest in, rest in Utah um, to Nikhil. If you can, if that's a thing. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, they they just were too many circumstances where guys were dribbling and the dribbles now and and fish brought this up with, with Jose is that probe dribble to have somebody who's willing to do that. That's what Rondo did. Yeah. That's what Rondo brought to that offense was so much was like, I'm just going to drive in the paint and see what happens. Yep. And to the Pelicans with CJ and with Brandon at times now more than ever. And, and with Alvarado, they have guys who are just willing to say, I'm going to go check it out. Make, make the defense react to it. So yeah, just see what happens. So <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and the thing is that he can do that and he's not a, a walking turnover when it happens because plenty of point guards want to do that. But the coaches don't let them because your handle's too loose, right? And it's a daz- disaster if you're going to dribble in traffic. All right, Ali, this one for you: Can the Pels team, as currently constructed, be a championship contender? And if not, what else do you think would be needed to put them over the top? I'm going to assume this question involves Zion, right, guys? I'd say you have to. He's still on the roster. Until he's not on the roster, he's part of this team. So my question is easy. I don't know. I mean, that's the easy answer, right? To me, it seems like they have covered a lot of holes. Pretty much all of them. All the ones that we have had issues with every single year. Suddenly with that one trade of Josh Hart and landing those three players from Portland. I think it's locked, you know, locked this roster down where you're too deep in almost everything you want to see on the court. So... Honestly, I mean, say championship contender, that's tough because you need to incorporate Zion, who's a really big piece, who's going to be a big usage guy. But overall, you've got to feel good, at least, right? You've, we've kind of seen the tip of the iceberg with the potential of this team without him, where offensively, defensively, they can shine, where you, you can go deep into your bench. And so throwing Zion out there shouldn't affect that because he's not a Russell Westbrook. He's not a LeBron James. We've always noted that about his game, at least. He honestly did a good job of not trying to dominate ever possessions or just the play, get selfish. So you've got to feel pretty good. The only thing for me is, honestly, it's it's just the buy-in. And honestly, I don't have fear of it, but you still wonder about it. He hasn't played since May. You wonder how maybe disattached just in his mind he is with his teammates, right? Because that has to develop, too that on-the-court chemistry, forget the camaraderie. I know that he's friends with pretty much everybody that he knows on that bench, but it's on the court. That's my question. How long will something like that take? 
This yeah, year, think- no. But next year's, yeah. I mean, why not? So where are the holes? There aren't many guys. Maybe three-point shooting is probably the biggest one. Because outside of what, McCollum and Snell, who can you really rely on to make a three for it? But other than that, you know, that's nitpicking because the offense seems to have no problems. Fish, I'm going to hold your response because I got the next question is, is your question to have all the fun with. Okay. okay. So I'm going to give this one to Kevin. So, Kevin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything Ollie said. I think if you if you were to if we were able to restart the season from right now and you didn't have Zion on this team at the moment, but just the team as it is constructed right now, I feel like you could you would say that this could be a top five team in the West, correct? Yes. And if if you add in the talent that Zion has and if he's bought in and if he's willing to to uh really contribute on the defensive end and that was the trouble we've had with him so far on the court obviously offensively he's incredible but if he's uh contributing on the defensive end like everybody else is because I feel like that's the identity of this team that's what's elevated this team this defensive buy-in and effort if he's playing with that then I think yes you could say that this is a contending team and then if he's not say in the offseason if he does really want to be out of here you still have one of the biggest trade pieces that exist and you're still in great shape roster wise. And then you get to add whatever you would get for Zion Williamson, which I think would have you, you know, if you already think you're a top five, then whatever the return would be on a Zion Williamson could probably elevate you to a top three in the West. And once you're in the top three, then you have a legitimate chance of being a, a title contender, I feel. Yeah, and, and and as you said, Kevin, like if you you're also in a great position financially if you had to trade Zion because you right. do a sign and trade deal, and you, you know because he's going to want that maximum deal no matter what. I mean, so if you I mean, you just yeah, you put Zion and say Devonte together, that's yeah. twenty something million dollars, you know, and then you could bring in another really great solid piece, another like you know maybe a true point guard, defensive point guard, and then you're really solidified or, or another dynamic shooter. Um, so whatever, either way, I do think, you know, the way this team is playing right now, especially if they can retain Tony Snell, uh, everybody else is under contract. That That is really important. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't see why you couldn't you wouldn't consider this going into next offseason as a team that should be in position to contend for a title yeah and, and it's steps I, I you know i don't think they can walk with a banner next year um and i think the and ollie i would say this to your three point concerns man we just saw milwaukee win a championship last year and i think they shot 28 percent from three for the for the uh, finals mm-hmm. you know what i mean like if you're playing the kind of defense that is elite yeah. <laughs> if you're doing that, you'll survive those shooting slumps. And that's what I think the biggest thing about if you know CJ can get hot, you know BI could get hot. You know, uh, you know, uh a couple other guys might get hot. So I think the Pelicans shooting now to me is not the uh, concern. I don't it's not something I think about. No, I didn't anymore. want to mention like a concern. I was just looking at where, you know, look up and down the roster. I mean, even you would say some flaws still, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but I, I mean, hear you. There's no like, such thing as a perfect team. And you can win by not having something not being at what even top ten in the league. Absolutely, right. David. And and yeah. I think you know again they're they're not going to be where they have one of the top five players in the league yet. Maybe Bi continues in evolution, but I don't know. You don't have that guy. You're not going to be a team where you're carried by one of the top five. But 
you could argue that it's like you could very well have a Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks, um, or you know, even a Golden Piston. State Warriors type of situation, Piston situation, yeah, too, where it's it's you're you're bigger than the sum of your parts, but you got four guys who are legitimate All Star contenders. If CJ is doing what he's doing every year, if BI is doing what he's doing every year, if Zion is bought in or whomever you have to bring in eventually is bought, is is then you've got three and Jonas Valanciunas is giving you 19 and 10 or 17 and 10 or whatever he's giving you in the future or Jackson evolves or whatever, or Herb continues to evolve and he's an all-star contender. You've, if you've got that, if you've got four legitimate all-star type pieces in your main rotation, then yeah, you got a chance. And the Pelicans have two of those for sure. We know we'll see what happens with Zion and we'll see what continues to grow with Herb. but you've got two legitimate all-stars on your roster standing there right now. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a good place to be. There's your the Pelicans are for the first time in a long time. So are you saying that the CJ McCollum trade was a good trade for the Pelicans to make? <laughs> Remember, I'm just going I'm I can't I gotta bring it up. All well, the you, backlash that the Pelicans got for making that trade. I mean Oh, I thought you were saying something about me. Oh I'm no, like, D. No, 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 no. Just in yeah. general, I saw maybe one or two people write, hey, this is a good thing for him, but most of the people they destroyed the New Orleans oh, yeah. Pelicans for making them deal, man. Well, it's funny that all the bullshit, you know, and, and I know the 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 spaces with Kendrick Perkins gets so much attention to that, but it was a microcosm of what we continue to see and people writing these articles and saying they don't get it. What's this thing? Everybody, everybody's on the relocation. Everybody's on this. This isn't a basketball town. This isn't a this, this, and that. Man, what the, do you understand what the hell New Orleans has been through? If you don't get it, if you don't understand what it's been through with the pandemic, if you don't understand what it's been through with this damn team, if you don't understand what it's been through financially, historically, weather-wise, if you don't understand all the shits that happened in New Orleans over the last five to ten years, then don't fucking talk about New Orleans, man. Like, yeah, it's just, also just analyze it correctly. It's not a win-now move for crying out loud. No! I mean, no. that's what that, that was the perspective I got from a lot of things I read. That's such a joke to say it was just for this year, just to make the playing tournament or whatever. No. Was, no. And again, what we ta- we all as a group, we've talked about that on this podcast over and over again. When the CJ thing first started becoming, we talked about him as a target, how it was not just a, a move for today. That's the, the one of the reasons that we would, be- we would, there weren't many trades we were considering, but one of the ones we really liked CJ for was because it gave you now opportunities and future opportunities and it's showing that the evidence is clear so fish now you get to have fun with this one this is yours because i know I, like we just let him have the stage we back up if <laughs> i can't wait to hear this question i'm not lying i'm ready this has got to be good if the pelicans get the lakers pick this year and the pelicans it's a high lottery pick do the Pelicans draft someone with it? Or would you like to see them package it? And if they package it, who would be your targets? So I don't think they should package it because I think the Pelicans are in a situation where their roster is going to get more expensive as it is, and you mm-hmm. need more um, inexpensive talent. And going all the way back to when we were talking about the potential AD trade, the thing that I, I said was I want the Pelicans to have multiple picks so that they can have some picks that they trade. And every single year they have one swing at the ax, just one swing. 
if you can if you can get a guy that's going to pan out. Um, so in the situation that the Pelicans get a pick somewhere between one and ten from the Lakers, um, I would say the Pelicans should keep that pick. Um, the Pelicans will be in a situation where whoever they draft, even if they get the first pick and they're picking Chet and Kevin's so mad because the dude's name is Chet. <laughs> they're not going to ask that dude to start. They're not going to, there's, there is nobody that they could possibly pick one through 10 that you look at the Pelicans projected starting lineup for next year, which is already all under contract. CJ, BI, Herb, Zion, Jonas. There, there's nobody that you're putting that that you're drafting one through ten that you say, oh, we got to put him in. Like as much as I love Jaden Ivey, and he's one of my favorite prospects in terms of how he would be on this on this roster, and he'd be you know he he'd be you know the third or fourth pick or something if the Pelicans moved up there. I'm not going to ask him to start, and they're going to say, oh, what we're going to slide Herb Herb out of the starting lineup? Hell no. Herb has like one of the hardest jobs on this team. The Pelicans and Willie Green ask him every single night. I don't care if their best player is a point guard. He's a shooting guard. He's a small forward. He's a power forward. That's your matchup. The only time that the best player <coughs> on the other team is not his matchup is when it's Jokic and when it's Embiid. That's it. I think Every I just got game. COVID through my computer when you called. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I'm going to have to mute myself to get the rest of this out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's what I'm talking about with the, with, with, I mean, the, if the Pelicans, the biggest thing to me is, and this is kind of like roster building forward. The biggest thing to me is when you're looking at this team and how it's constructed and this, this is how I'm looking at it. So the Pelicans on the bench, right? Coming off the bench, you have Najee Marshall. He's too, he's too cheap to give up. Like there's no reason for you to trade Najee Marshall at this point. He's too cheap to give up. He's not even getting $2 million. Um, Willie Hernan Gomez, pure vibes. You keep him like he—he's a seven-footer that's always ready. You—you you call on him, he's ready. So you're not giving up him, and he's happy to like whatever you ask him to do. Like if they told Willie DeVar, like Willie, hand out the towels. He'd be like, I hand out the towels. I'm good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jose Alvarado doesn't have a full-time contract yet. <laughs> I fully expect that he's going to have one by the end of the season that goes into next season, and it's going to be okay. cheap because that's how two-way players got go. Then you got, I mean, Herb Jones is in the starting lineup. He's super cheap. And so you look at the roster, and the biggest question is, I don't see how Kyra fits. So Kyra's probably the thing that I'm trading out if I'm trading, you know, to upgrade the lineup or just to get future assets at this point to open up roster spots. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, whoever they can pick. If if, if they're getting a top 10 pick. Just real quick, what about either Garrett Temple? Either Garrett Temple or um, uh, Devontae. I mean, I, I I don't know. Kyra, you can still wait on him, right? Um, I mean, you could still wait on Kyra because you still got two more years until then. But the thing is, is that when is he going to play? Exactly. Like, is he? Do he I get want past Alvarado? No, I, I don't. I don't put him ahead of. I don't put him ahead of uh, Jose Alvarado. And do you really want? I think that that's two different players to me, but 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying they're they're two different yeah. players, but they play the same position. They're both. But small. I see Barry, at least in Kyra. I don't see honestly how Garrett's ever gonna should play again. And Devonte, even if he gets out of his shooting slump, he's not a true. He he'll never be a true six. Oh, man. I don't. I don't have. I don't have a long term plan for Devonte yeah. either. That's what I'm saying. Um, no, when you just said roster spots, that's why I wanted to say those two guys. Well, I mean, you, you, you just hope Temple retires and joins the bench, or, or you know, that way you don't have to trade him because I don't know if they'll trade him. But obviously, he's never going to play a minute unless it's uh, garbage time or a catastrophe happens again. So, you designated know, yeah. survivor. But yeah. I mean, you look, you look at the, you look at the rest of the roster, and I mean, Tony Snell signed at, as a minimum. This summer with Portland minimum. And he was coming off a season where he shot 57% behind the arc. I know in a league that is just starving for shooting. He's and Portland said, here's the minimum. And he said, sign me up. So I and think the Pelicans, didn't play him. What the hell, man? <laughs> so I think the Pelicans, if they say here, you know, here's your non bird rights raise or whatever that they can give him. He's going to be back because the vibes are immaculate here. And yeah. so you, you just love playing someplace which, that you're going to love clocking in. And that's what's happening here. So, I mean, if you got Snell and Najee and Jose and Willie Hernan Gomez is locked in, Nance is already on a contract for next year, too, and it's yeah. cheap. Yeah. Um, and then you have this lottery pick. You're not asking a whole lot of that guy. I mean, the Pelicans might have a pick that between 1 and 10 from the Lakers. This, you know, this spring, early summer, and that guy might spend a whole lot of time in Birmingham just because we want you to get run, but the minutes aren't here because we're winning now. And then eventually, you know, the slot opens up. And I mean, of all the guys that the Pelicans would pick, Chet is the guy that I would want. Because and then you're also talking about, too, Jackson is back on the bench next year. Zion is here. Exactly. So you're adding Jackson back to that bench. So yeah, you, yeah, anybody you ask, you have somebody now. You've counted off at every spot, one through five. Yeah, I mean, that, you got, give me Shaden Sharp. I want Shaden Sharp if we start. Yeah, so I mean, but like, to pick a player, like just just use the pick. You need, but yeah, more right. high and yeah. cheap, cheap talent. Um, that that's that's the way to go. And yeah, keep that pipeline going for sure. And then you know, the 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 picks that don't that don't pan out or aren't working out. Um, you can use them like they use now. And he ends up bringing you CJ, the Pelicans at this point, like when I'm looking at the off season, assuming that Zion's not going anywhere, I'm just, how are the Pelicans either going to turn the players that are on their roster into open roster spots and future assets, because they already have all of this depth that they're not going to trade. Mm-hmm. <coughs> But don't worry about, you know, we have to go get some other big fish or somebody that's that's on some big contract. Like I, I don't see the area where that that should be their their method of attack. Especially with CJ showing that he can be a lead guard. That was my biggest question. Can you count on him on every possession when things are tight? Whatever. So far, I mean, we haven't had that big of a sample size, I guess, or like that playoff type of intensity. But overall, don't you guys feel better? It looks like CJ is indeed can handle a bigger role than what he was given in Portland. Yeah, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't really worry about it. I didn't. I didn't really worry about it coming over because I, I felt like he, I mean I saw when he would play without Dame that he had that ability, so I wasn't that concerned about that. 
Yeah, so anyways, that just goes to the lead guard thing. That was maybe the only question for me in my mind. Yeah, so there's no holes. There's nothing to plug up, nothing you need to focus on. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with what Fish said. And and we got a couple questions about the Zion fit again, and I just don't think it's fair to Zion to do it. I understand why people ask. What were the questions, David? Huh? It's like, well, you know, how does Zion fit back in when he comes back? Well, the question is, I don't, none of us could say, none of us can say, because the one thing you know he can do is I don't think he's going to forget how to score. You know, I don't, that's not going to happen. He's not, he, even if he's not as athletic out of the gate, he has things that scoring wise, you just, he's able to do. But if we haven't seen him run, if we don't know how he moves laterally, if we don't know, like Willie might just say, look, Point Zion worked for that group. It doesn't work for this group. Or it's something you implement kind of like with the, you know, as every once in a while we'll do it out for three or four minutes, we'll let Point Zion work. But we like moving the ball and sharing it as a group. And that's what we do here now. He's got to learn all those things, as we talked about at the beginning of this, is that he's got to adapt to. They don't have to just adapt to him because what they're doing is working. So he's got to find a way to fit into that and make it continue to work. And that is a process. And I don't think it's a fair process when you are actually competing to get into the postseason to add him into that and have have expectations of him. He can only, it can only, it can either be a success and it's a great success, but it's already the success that was there, or it can be a massive failure. And either one, I don't think would be fair to judge Zion on like to me it's like I can't even judge what he does this year physically because it's it's he's already missed 60 games you know what I'm saying like he's already missed 60 games so how would how can I make a fair assessment of it when he has not been here for any of it and he's mentally physically team-wise all the things that you would need to be successful he's had none of it yeah but I, I will say this um, about how he's going to be able to fit in defensively. If he comes in on a lineup where the other four guys all understand what needs to be done and they are all executing it, that makes his job easier in terms of the fact that it's easy to correct one guy's mistake if you can clearly identify this is where the error occurred. Zion, you were supposed to do this. And honestly, the previous two years, the Pelicans were such a cluster defensively that it's like there were there were so many blown blown assignments mm-hmm. at this point that we can't even tell you what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. If you're on a def- if you're out there with four other guys and they're all executing and you don't, we we know what you were supposed to do that didn't happen because everybody else was doing what they were supposed to do, assuming that you were going to do your job. And I think that might make life easier for him on the defensive end. And honestly, that's where we need to be. That would be the the biggest area of concern. The thing with Zion on the offensive end is he creates the most valuable shot in basketball. He creates it a lot. I'm sure Willie Green's going to find a way to get him in positions where he's going to get layups. He's going to get the ball on the move, going towards the basket, and there's going to be layups. And if anything, that makes this offense even more deadly because you have two guys that are just snipers in the mid-range at this point. CJ manipulating the pick and roll, hitting all these gorgeous floaters, just punishing bigs that are playing drop. 
And then you take all of that, and then you're just going to add Zion, who's a freaking sledgehammer at the rim. And even if he doesn't have all the athleticism and, and, and the jump, and he's not going to be dunking on everybody's heads, so much of his game last year wasn't dunking on guys. It was jumping into somebody, moving them with his he's body. Adrian, it's a lot of Adrian Dantley. It's a yeah. lot of below the rim using positioning. Yeah, and I mean, finishing he just, with his layups. Like he's he's getting a layup off, and he's you know well under like the release points, like maybe nine nine and a half feet. He's not like flying at that point, but he's bumped Rudy Gobert into the stanchion, and, and he's making a layup. So I I. His game is one that I think is a lot more malleable um, than than we think because I don't think the Pelicans are going to ask him to be point Zion all the time. And when they do, I think it's going to be on those second units, and those mm-hmm. second units will just thrive because he's going to be in a situation on the second units where he's surrounded by plus defenders. So there's going to be more turnovers. There's going to be more chances in transition. And then all those other guys on the second unit are going to be in a great position in terms of Zion can be the focal point and we're going to get easy stuff off of it because mm-hmm. he's going to be drawing the eyes. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't see, but I do, I do agree with your point grub in terms of the fact I'm not going to make any grand proclamations or anything about Zion's fit in terms of how it goes. You know, if he, if he plays a couple games and then the play in, and then if they're lucky enough to get into the playoffs, like I'm not, there's, I, I have no grand proclamations off of that to make unless it goes super well. And they're like, in the Let's West be honest. Any, anything you just said is totally house money, right? Yeah. Think right. about how the season started to a team that we saw the weaknesses, but they couldn't get over the hump. They were playing at their best, right. In terms of mm-hmm. the ability and focus. And they were still a 500 team. And now they land the perfect fit in CJ McCollum and some extra pieces. Everything from here on out is just totally house money. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. even even if it fails, like even if he comes in and like it, it, it's clunky and and we're struggling, and how do we get in all our spots? I mean, that's all information that they were going to need to learn at the beginning of the next season when exactly. they implement them. Exactly. So might as well might as well get those growing points out of the way. Get get it on tape so we can talk about it you know, over the off season and training camp and everything like that. And then we can implement changes. Cause I mean, I mean, even the, the biggest pie in the sky, like maybe the Pelicans could pull off a crazy, you know, upset over Phoenix maybe. And I don't think that's going to happen just because Monty Williams, I have that much respect for Monty Williams and Chris Paul. I don't think that the Pelicans are going to do that, but even if they did like this team this year, isn't raising a trophy. No, But what they what but what they do this year and what they can learn will get them a lot closer sooner, Mm -hmm. good or bad, good or bad, because they just they need the reps and the earlier they can get the reps, the better. And that's why I'm excited about Zion to potentially, you know, playing a couple games between now and the end of the season and then the playoffs. I don't think it, Kevin, I, and I'll let you do this on Zion, but I don't think anybody would be not excited to see him. It's just, again, my main thing is he has to come in, and it, and it's, I, I'm not criticizing Zion Williamson. I'm just saying what the circumstances are. He has to come in with the mindset of how do I make what is already good better. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100 percent with that, and I I feel like it's great to get him back. Obviously, you get a guy who has the ability to be a top five player in the league 
added to, like you already said, two all-star level players. Really, I would say three all-star level players because we've seen Jonas play at an all-star level also. Um, So the only problem with it is, but it's not really a problem as Fish explained because it, it sort of takes away the problem of solving it early next year is that you're in the middle of of like fighting and clawing to get into the play play in and to get into the playoffs and integrating a a huge piece like that it's not integrating a role player it's integrating basically the center of the universe into what was already working really well and had flow and system it's going to change everything and it might be there might be some stumbling blocks that we wouldn't have hit had he not come back this year that might derail what happens this postseason for us. But as Fish said, you know, that was going to happen this offseason coming up. So to get it out of the way and hit the ground running, hopefully next season is fine. Um, And then again, obviously you want to see Zion on the court. You want to see how he fits with these guys. You want to see the learning process. You want to see the excitement. You want to see that incredible brute strength and that like Kyrie Irving, like finishing ability around the rim with the soft touch, both hands, all that stuff is so exciting and so fun to watch. Um, It may not, it may sort of derail uh, the success that we were on, the, the path to success that we're on momentarily because it's hard to have a step back when we, when you every game counts for us right now. Um, but, you know, it builds for the future. And I think it, it sort of will also answer a lot of questions going into the offseason because I think you'll see how he buys in, how he mm-hmm. adapts, how he fits in with his teammates and sort of get a better idea of what the future is with him because he is such an enigma that you have to solve uh, to really move forward uh, with this team. And like I said, I think we all feel like we built something special. Um, So if he's not bought in, then you can just add other pieces and losing him won't be as detrimental as losing him would would have felt uh, earlier in this year. But hopefully, you know, everything's worked out and he sees what they have here and, having that adult in the room like CJ really solves a lot of the issues that we've been having and he's been having with this team. And, um, you know, and then it's just positive going into next season, even if it cost us a postseason run this season. Yeah. I would, I would hope that for Zion, it's like, you know, again, if he fails and he fails because he's trying really hard, then cool. You know, what I'm saying I'm not. I would. Ne- no, I don't think anybody would be mad at him if he came back and it just and he just it just like he's doing everything he can, but physically all the time off and all that stuff. It just didn't make make it made it not work. But you saw him out there putting the effort out every night. That you saw him engaged and you saw him trying and on the same page with his teammates. And just you know, and it just you you the, the the outcome wasn't what you desired. I think we'd all be cool with that. Um, but I think it is telling, like you said, Kevin, and like Fish says the information is that what you that's what you want is the information you want to be able to have it and there's there's never a bad thing about getting more information about a player and about your team you know the more you can have the more understanding it speeds up the process for next year as y'all as you both said so i mean i think if you get five games out of him cool let's see five if you get 10 cool let's see 10 because they've all got to figure this out and we have to get to the reality of the situation and that only happens once he's actually on the basketball court. And uh, Scoop B, for people who, whether you believe Scoop or not, um, 
But Scoop has reported that Zion is actually in the facility working out tonight. There you go. Yeah, I heard Zion was flying in yesterday, so I totally believe that. <laughs> so, so good. That's I don't want people to be thinking that oh he'll be back in a week now that he rushed back. He's like oh everything's cool. I'm back. It's not. I don't believe it's like that. I just think he's ready. If he's me- medically, there's they're ready to take the next step. That doesn't yeah. mean that the step after that is on the court tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it sounds like, like what to dive a little bit into it. Some of the reports were, you know, he's he's been cleared for basketball activities, et cetera. Um, but I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that, yeah, he went away from the team to rehab, but you know, he went either to the Nike facility or whatever, and he's like he's been away just working on himself and his body, essentially, for like two months, man. He got that injection middle of December. And then he's been away for two months. Like he he hasn't been just chilling on the couch. Like I I, I can't imagine that he's just been chilling on the couch. No. Has he been limited? Has he you know been doing a whole lot of pool work and stuff like that so that you know he's not he's not straining the foot and making sure that the healing can go on? Yeah, absolutely. I would I would fully expect that that's happening. Yeah, I just and want people they have- to realize that he's still not do- doing full weight bearing activity, right? So there are so many hurdles for him to clear. If everybody remembers the way he was ramping up before, right, before yeah. the setback and the shot. So, you know, I honestly, it's hard to see with what we've got five weeks left. It's for me, it's hard to see that he'll get back on the court. But I'm not going to rule it out for the reasons you mentioned, Fish. So, but I mean, yeah, just just get the information if you can. If you're not at, at first, don't push him too hard. Right. Like if, 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 if he can't make they it, definitely won't. Yeah, they won't. If, if he can't make it, Aaron Nelson's not going to push him too hard. And maybe, you know, that, that becomes another thing that he, he really wanted to be in this playoff push and he doesn't get to, because we have longer term. We have, we have a longer vision than just, you know, a first round exit. That's fun. Um, but expectations for him should be low and not because he's not great. But because we need to realize he hasn't he hasn't played basketball in like ten months. It's it's I mean, it, a competitive game months. in a competitive game has been a year almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's yeah. literally like his last game was May fourth last year. Today is is March fifth. Like it's been ten months since he played a game that, that that mattered. You know he didn't play he didn't play any preseason games. He wasn't on the summer league team. He had already injured his foot. Like. We haven't seen him play real basketball since May. So, I mean, it, it might take him some time. It might be rough. It might be rusty. But you know what? If it gets to the point where the, you know, the training staff and his doctors and the Pelicans doctors and everybody else says, hey, you're good to go. You're going to get out there. And you're going to play. I think, one, it's a good thing because he's he's medically cleared at that point. And two, it's a good thing because whatever happens on the court, good or bad, they're going to have it on tape. How does it work? What do we need to fix? And they got a whole lot of smart basketball minds on that coaching staff, on the roster that want to find out, find a way to make it, make it work. And so if he can play, I think it's a great thing. And if he can't, but he's at least making progress, I mean, it'd be better if he was able to play just so you can, you know, get that, those initial growing pains out of it. But if not, we'll we'll go through them in October and November. All right. Last one. Uh, for the night, guys. And this is a real quick one. Um, 
would you rather face the Warriors or the Grizzlies if the Pelicans were to get out of the play-in and into the playoffs? Kevin, I'll let you go first. Well, I mean, I think for one thing, us playing the Grizzlies would be great rivalry-wise. You know, I mean, I think we're building a nice rivalry there. Two young teams that um, are in the same conference, obviously. And also, I mean, we've had uh, a history of beating them recently. You know, like we have sort of dominated them. Um, so you'd have to feel good about that. Going against the Warriors, that's a team full of veterans that have been there before. Though the playoffs have tons of ton of success. So I think that would be harder uh, to win. Um, and I just think that the Memphis, the way these two teams play, if, if you get, I mean, not obviously Steph Curry is super electric, but the way Ja Morant's playing right now, and if you have, uh, if Zion is back and you can see those two guys go at each other um, with the sort of explosiveness and power and excitement that they provide, then that would be one of the most entertaining playoff uh meetings that I think they would have in the entire playoffs. I say Grizzlies fish. Um, well, number one, for them to get to that point, they're going to need to tie the Clippers because uh, so, they'd have to be in the seven, eight play. Fish. It's just wish. Would you rather? Oh, it's, yeah. definitely, Memphis. it's definitely Memphis because if, <laughs> if you're if you're facing golden, if you're facing golden state and Draymond green has had all this time to get right. And he's probably going to be super healthy and no, man. I'm I'm tired of seeing that buzzsaw. I'd much rather see Memphis. Oh, it's undoubtedly Memphis because lately it's just been the John Morant show. Look, I know they've got a good lot of role players, but if you put Herb Jones and he's having at least just a couple of good games against Morant and he holds them down, how else are they going to beat you, right? So, yeah, that's an easy one for me from a lot of point vantage points. Fish, I love you, man. I love you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> killing me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, does this happen in your life? Do you do this on a like? If we go, if yes, you I sit do. at a restaurant <laughs> and the lady says, "Would you like <laughs> this and this?" and you're like, "Well, do I need to?" <laughs> no, no, no. With with that man, I'm like, is it something that I can order with the number? Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that with a coke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you um, for for giving up your time again to do this as we do. Um, but we have enjoyed this tomorrow. Big game for the Pels. Well, I guess this will be playing on that day. So um, it looks like the Lakers have beaten the the Warriors. So Pels still going to be chasing that ninth spot uh, tomorrow night uh, when they tomorrow when they take on on the road against Denver. But I think they have, again, Denver's a team the Pelicans have played well against this year. They have played well against Denver this year. They have a win over the Nuggets this year, and they have wins over the Nuggets in the last couple of years. So um, give them, with this team right now, the way that they're playing, they've won five in a row on the road as well. Five in a row on the road. And, okay, yeah, now I have to bring it up now. This would be the Pelicans' first five-game win streak since 2017-18. And I, I told you, there's nothing. It, it doesn't get valid. It doesn't get real to me till there's five game win streak. If it, if it's at five, what do, what should I do? Should I actually buy a pelican? I have not bought a pelicans item because of my position is covering this team. But I, I have seriously considered buying a pelicans piece of merchandise 
Um, I thought you didn't buy them because you had a good eye for graphic design. Well, yeah, I don't like I don't like most of the stuff, but <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of like I I, ha, I feel like five games is is a to me is a significant border to breach. So I, I'm gonna have to do something. You should buy, buy a Herb Jones jersey. It has five on it. Perfect. That's yeah. true. That's true. You also got to come to a game, man. <laughs> I did. Well, uh, <laughs> for media covering as media, yeah, bringing your daughter, and then you, 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 and Chris and I, we talked for half. What was it? Yeah, first half, and your daughter was just like sitting by herself, man. <laughs> she was having a blast though, because she was like, "I got to watch the cheerleaders, and the game was fast, and everything was cool." And I was like, "All right." She's a kid, man. She had her phone. And I know, She watched I the know. game, and she she just wanted to be there, so. You just enjoyed that part. But, yeah, I'll have to be back soon. We'll have to do it soon. Um, but, gentlemen, I think we've covered it all. And um, as we do, for David Fisher, for Kevin Berrios, for Ali Cousteau, I am David Grubb. And this has been The Bird Calls. And in the words of our friend, Preston Ellis, let's go, Pels. listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today today's episode of the bird calls is brought to you by sports drink your digital water cooler sports drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports they're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sportsdrink, spelled like sportsdrink but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out.